One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself, Simon and Danny Murphy discuss the VAR audio of Anthony Gordon's goal against Arsenal. Has it made Arteta's outburst an Arsenal statement that bit more embarrassing? Meantime, Aaron Ramsdale's dad has publicly criticised Arteta's handling of the goalkeeping situation at Arsenal. Is there anything wrong with parents speaking out in defence of their children? Plus, boxing legend Steve Collins joins us in studio to reflect on his career and promoting his documentary film One Night in Mill Street. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. That Anthony Gordon goal for, for Newcastle at Newcastle against Arsenal that so riled Mikel Arteta is it your belief the goal should not have stood or are you now thinking, that's fine, it was all right, the goal should have stood and it was right that it stood? Well, on the day when I, I thought initially it was a goal, then I watched a lot of the replays and thought it's probably a foul, a little push in the back, um, but not definite. It wasn't an absolute glaring error for me. It was one of those where I'd understand if some refs give it and some didn't. So I kind of... I I, I get why it was given because the obvious reasons they didn't have the right cameras and angles to definitively say the ball was out or an offside which is fine Yeah, and there was a little bit of subjectivity on the push so you might have an opinion I might have an opinion we heard that and therefore the goal stands and that's that's the way it should be Well Simon now we know uh, what was actually said between uh, the referee on, on the pitch at the time and those in uh, VAR because the PGMOL's mic'd up show that was aired last night, Howard Webb, of course, head of that organisation, he features in it alongside Michael Owen, and it featured the audio involving the Gordon goal against Arsenal that sparked the Arteta rant. So we've edited this down. I mean, it runs about four minutes, so we're not going to listen to all of it, but we've edited it down. See what you make of it. And the key moments are, was the ball out? on the far side and then when it's played back in was there a push on the Arsenal defender Gabriel and should the goal have stood or not this was what happened so Stu can you have a look at this as well before we go check the goal for me I've got no conclusive evidence that no. that ball that that ball is out no I, no I agree evidence. he said no I he said not a goal too, wait a minute no too. I was going to say you can't go on that angle no, although no, no, it looks out you've got the curvature of the ball just one second then so go two frames forward the ball is already 
back in play stroke on the line. Two frames forward. That's yep, two there we go. So that's fine. So run that through, please. Right now you've got the challenge on the back post. Yeah. So I'm going to check that. So run, running that through, please. So yep. looking for offside position first of all. No offside position. Log in. Okay. I'm now doing a check a potential foul on Gabrielle. So have you got high behind for me, please? Yep. That's great. Just run that through a little. Stu, yep. we've, we've cleared the uh, ball staying in. We're now checking for the back post challenge, mate. From the other end, which might be better. Yeah, okay, no problem. I, I don't see a specific foul on Gabriel. I see two hands on his back, but I don't see anything of a push that, that warrants him flying forward like that. So there we go. The key moments. No conclusive evidence that the ball was out of play. So we've nailed that one. No offside. And they judge no push on Gabriel. Uh, when the ball then fell to um, Anthony Gordon and he walloped it into the back of the net. Uh, no specific evidence that there was a push on Gabriel. In other words, the goal was good. But that wasn't what Arteta thought on the day. Yeah, we have to talk about the result because you have to talk about how the hell this goal um, stand up and it's incredible. I feel embarrassed. But I have to be the one now coming here to try to defend the club and please ask for help because it's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. It's an absolute disgrace. Again, I feel embarrassed. I've been more than 20 years in this country, and this is nowhere near the level to describe this as the best league in the world. I am sorry. So that VAR evidence, to me, was clear, concise, and methodical. Can I just say on that, Jim? Yeah. I, I, I said many times, and I'll change my mind on this, but since that show started... I didn't really want to hear how they got something wrong or why they got it wrong. I know that one was saying they got right, but you know, sometimes they've shown... But I actually think it does help here in the process. The more I've heard it, it does give you more of an understanding. Only because people don't accept authority and don't accept judgments. What, what do you mean? We're, we're now analysing the analysis. And the only yeah. reason we're doing that is because there's a refusal within the confines of football to accept the decision-making process. Yeah, but do you agree, though? Do I, do I agree that ultimately... That it helps a little bit hearing them go get to the conclusion. Yes, because of the necessity to explain, our, not ourselves, to, for the for referees and the refereeing fraternities to have to explain everything that a manager or the footballing fraternity thinks has to be explained. Now, that may be the way the world goes, and I'm sure plenty of people will pile in and say, well, they make decisions, they should have to explain them. And I, in part, I agree. But we're, we're now applauding the analysis of the analysis. And we're applauding the fact that we have this sense of entitlement that the moment a referee makes a decision, that ultimately there should be this entire enclave of people that have to explain it. So when you get nicked on the side of the road by a police officer for doing something you shouldn't be doing, I'm sure you're going to be asking the police officer to explain to you why you've been nicked, because that's not the way the world works. The way the world works is, or the way that it should work, is there is an element of needing to understand that there is a there is a structure of authority in the game, the player's responsibility is to be players, the manager's responsibility is to be managers, and the referee's responsibility is to referee the, 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 the task efficiently. And what we're doing now is we're looking at this game, well, they did their job which makes the situation with Arteta and of course all those people that think Arteta was victimised by shows like this and, that, and the media made it into a four-act play because of what Arteta decided he was going to say mm. or turn around and say well you're now weaponising this against Arteta yeah, but you're, you're talking about, but I mean, I know what you mean, but you were talking about an idealistic world where everybody accepts all the authority and everyone goes, yep, that's fine, we'll take it on the chin. Well, I'm responding to what you've said. What you've said is it actually makes it better. And of course it, it, helps. Makes, it, it makes it better based upon the premise that everybody's got to explain themselves. So when you ask a manager to explain himself after a game, after he's made a bunch of mistakes, they get prickly, they get nasty, and they don't like it. 
And the irony of it is, is that for me, I'm not I'm not an apologist for bad refereeing decisions. I resent on behalf of, of the authority them, of the game that there's to. a necessity for them to have to explain themselves well, not, to some when, jumped when you, up little manager yeah. that half the time gets it wrong himself. No, I hear you. I hear you. But I, this ain't really... Although Howard Webb's doing the show, all he's actually doing is releasing the footage of how they got... That's not really explaining himself. He's just he's just be, he's giving clarity to how they, no, they've I know. made the decision. But he's not explaining himself because with due respect to Michael Owen, who I'll be seeing next week, he isn't actually making him work very hard, is he? Well, I didn't see the whole show, so no, probably not. But well, Michael Owen would disagree with that. But the bottom line is, Simon, do you think the explanation that we edited down to a minute there is indeed clear, concise, and methodical? It it shows how they got to where they got it to. It sounded a hell of a lot better than well, the other week, didn't yes, it? Yes, of course it did. And by definition, what we saw was a, f a group of fools in the VAR room. And what we what we saw there is what we should be... What we, sorry, what we hear there is what we should be hearing. We shouldn't be patting that on the back. We shouldn't be saying to Howard Webb, job well done, because that's what they should be doing. Right. Because they've set themselves a low bar on previous instances, we're now going to applaud the bare minimum of people being efficient in what they're doing. What it does do is it explains, it shows that the process for all those naysayers out there is working. And of course, the next question will be subjectivity, experience and rules. Because it ain't going to stop. Right. No, it's not going to stop. Right. So does it make Arsenal's statement? Do you remember the statement, Danny? Straight after Arteta's run, mm. Arsenal came out after Arsenal Football Club wholeheartedly supports Mikel Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing and VAR errors on Saturday evening. That's embarrassing now for Arsenal, isn't it? I think it, I think it pretty was it pretty much was at the time. Absolutely right. Um, I don't know if you think it's more embarrassing because of you've heard the most most people thought that it was an overreaction to what was a re a, a decision that some not everybody agreed on. I mean, there are some things you watch, aren't there? You know, the, obviously the Liverpool one, Tottenham one. We've talked about that, but the Gary O'Neill situation with the penalty, and the two penalties. I mean, that that, that ninety nine point nine 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 of people all agreed, and it was. But this one wasn't quite like you that. played the game. Was it a foul on Gabriel? I think you get it most times. But listening to them talk about why, and actually I was speaking to a certain Arsenal supporter in the building earlier who remained nameless for his own protection, who suggested Gabriel jumps forward and does that a lot more than he should. Right. So, right. and when you when you actually look at it from a different point of view and the, the officials talking about, you know, he's gone, he is quite theatrical in his leap forward. Yeah, yeah. I, I concur. You see, in spite of that, what we've just played out, Simon, on the Mike Top show last night, I'm looking at the messages. There's Jack. Hang on a minute. All three of you. All three of you are wrong. Um, VR, VR is a disgrace. disgrace. It was a foul. I mean, I'm a Spurs fan. It was a foul. But I'll I mean, tell you what it was, Jim. According to you, I'll tell you what it was, Jim. It's one of those classic ones we see and we all say it. We're all guilty of saying it in punditry. If it had been given as a foul, it wouldn't have got reversed. Yeah, well, absolutely. But it's, I mean, I love the way people throw around superlatives like a disgrace. Yeah. Because I wonder what's going to happen when there's a real disgrace on the pitch and what superlatives people are going to be used then, atrocity. But the point is, is that, that Arteta's rant stepped over the line. He went too far. He, I, I think managers doing interviews after the game, you've got to bake into the conversation that they're going to be emotive about things that they think are, are unjust. Yeah, you are. So you price that in. Yeah. He went too far because he made observations about the entire state of the nation. Which is right? fine. Uh, but the, the, the real criminals in this, for me... Our Arsenal Football Club. I thought it was a sycophantic load of a, a bottom licking on behalf of their manager from a club that should know better. Who would just give me some clarity on that side? Who would who would make that decision to well, put that out? Well, I would imagine it's probably the director of football, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, does do it go? They, does do it go higher than Teta due an apology to the PGMOL? Uh, I, I think they should. I think they should have their knuckles wrapped. 
and I think the club should have the knuckles wrapped because it's one thing as I say baking into the conversation an over emotional manager that has this as his stock and trade and has actually galvanised the club by that emotion it's another thing in the cold light of day the grown ups in the room yeah I think it's two different compounding things. it by going after the authorities these are the grown ups in the room that are, that are the ones that are signing up to the rules these are the ones that have the ability to be able to change VAR's implementation these are the ones that vote against semi-automation and principles like that so I don't know how they have the audacity to put a statement like that because they're supposed to be representing some of the authority and upholding yeah. the values of the game and that's and I thought that was preposterous on Arsenal's behalf Download Stand Well Back Listen Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station Talk sport. Well, we've got a lot of listeners saying it was a foul, it was a foul on Gabrielle. Coxie is saying, listen guys, I respect you three on a Wednesday, but on this occasion the narrative's wrong. The shove in the back of the neck sets the wrong precedent. It was a foul 38 games out of 38. Uh, the ball was in? Yeah. The ball was not, no one, the player was not offside. We get that. But a foul's a foul and it shouldn't have stood. Do you still go with that, Dan? Do you go with that? No. 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 No, no. I did at first, and then I, I. You know what? It's one of those. If you're in a room, and some people are going to say yeah, and some are going to say no, therefore it's not clear and obvious. Yeah, but the most important people in all of this are the officials, and they said the goal stands. They also need to be right, though, and I mean and there is subjectivity to that decision. I mean, the irony of it is, is that Gary Neville was the first one out to turn around and say that he didn't think it was a foul. This is a defender. This is someone that knows what that space looks like. So the idea that someone coming in and tweeting in saying it's, it's, it's categorically, categorically a foul, it is subjective. And then you can go after the subjectivity. This is not a door you can ever close because ultimately there's always going to be an element of subjectivity in a decision-making process like that. So there's no way that VAR are going to ever square this circle because no. you're going to have a fella coming in on, on our social media going, as far as he's concerned, it's a foul. Yeah. And the referee's subjective view on it is incorrect. There's and very, you can never answer that. There's very few that are under I mean, 99. Right. I mean, the, the Wolves couple of penalties, everyone's agreed yeah. on, and that's yeah, yeah. because two oh, people... always be debate. Two players trying to cheat the referee, but they got they got done. Yeah. The, the argument there is the VAR shouldn't have got done as well, but they did. But, Simon, on this occasion, you think Arsenal were wrong to pile in and support Arteta? I, I, think, I think it's not unreasonable for them to support their manager, given the fact that it opened the floodgate to a, a torrent of criticism and observations, both good and bad. And so I don't, I don't misunderstand the reasons why they want to defend him, but they're part of the establishment and the establishment that have embraced and engineered the circumstances of VAR being introduced. They get to change the direction of it. I do think it's entirely inappropriate for them to have used the language that they used beyond the support of Arteta when they go after the refereeing fraternity themselves. And in this instance, they've now proven to be wrong because the outcomes that the referees have determined via VAR, which is not to compromise or to contradict what's happening on the pitch on the basis of an unclear or unclear and inconclusive decision, they have followed the protocols that these football clubs signed up for. So the, ch the challenge is, is when they're pointing their fingers, the Artetas of the world and the Arsenals of the world, at the authorities, it would appear to me that they don't understand the rules they signed up to themselves. Yeah. Because VAR, whilst not a perfect scenario is ultimately, in this instance, delivering an outcome. And this is the most strident attack upon the entire... And it's, it's now led to De Zerbi and his observations about not liking 80% of referees, and on and on we go. Mm. Pochettino walking onto a pitch, waving his finger. Aren't we supposed to be addressing this? Mm. How is it getting worse? De Zerbi thing was a little bit different, I think. 
Oh, yeah, just a, a fair observation. Yeah. He dislikes 80% of all referees Yeah, but in this didn't country. really get, because of the language, maybe, didn't really, just talking about their behaviour yeah. rather than yeah. anything else. It was a bit vague, wasn't it? It was hard mm. to pin you. I think that was maybe a little Still bit... But, but Arsenal were quick to jump on uh, what Arteta said after his rant and Arsenal said uh, it wholeheartedly supports Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing and VAR errors on Saturday evening. Do you think Arsenal should apologise to the PGMOL? Um, I'm not. I'm not one of those that's particularly big on apologies because I think ultimately once you start apologising, you'll never stop. And even an apology might be good enough in today's day and age. I think there should be a consequence for their behaviour. I think that they what should, should. That be I, depends what the gift of the uh, of the authorities are. I think that a football club. <laughs> There's an argument to suggest that when a player or a manager or an owner does something that's out of turns with the game, they bring the game into disrepute. There's a, there's a suggestion here that Arsenal's observation about the PGMOL, their performances, and the refereeing standards is bringing this side of the game into disrepute. Right. Now, I'm sure all the Arsenal fans would be outraged, and all the people that suspect that I like Daniel Levy more than I like the Arsenal gang will turn around and say, I'm only advanced this because I'm Daniel Levy's puppet, or the scale of a decision. If I yeah. was at Crystal Palace, it wouldn't matter because it wasn't the same comparison. Right. Every time you have a bad decision, in whatever level you're playing at, it matters. Right? Sure. I would have expected Arsenal, in the uh, Arsenal's ownership in a cold light of day, to distill the information in a way that I would be capable of going, which is, my manager stepped high up and gone hard at it, and I'm going to support him because I think he's doing a wonderful job for us. But I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go in on behind him and actually fill the FA or the PGMOL in as well. Do you think, I'm not going to take that decision. Do you think if you were in charge though, and you, whether you were Edu or anybody else, and at your club at Palace, if the manager had put some out there and, and give you a call and said, "Look, you need to back me," I would back him. Of course I'd back him. I had plenty of situations. Again, further found the food chain. You'd chambers. do it in a more conservative yeah, way. Yeah, but I did it with Neil Warnock. We said the most ridiculous things once about a referee mm. on television and then wrote the report afterwards. And, I, and this was going into the FA and I'm going, we can't write that. I feel the same thing as you. I thought the referee was appalling. But we can't write that because I'm not going to put our name to that because that's not a grown-up conversation to so be having. So you think, in that sense, Arsenal shouldn't have put their name to what Arteta said? No, I think Arsenal should have supported Arteta, but they didn't just put their name to what Arteta said. They went over and above it. They're the institution. Yes. They are They are the authority in the conversation. Got he you. represented Arsenal Football Club and Arsenal Football Club decided to go even harder on the effort because these well, are the guys, you're not going to listen to a ranting and raving manager. You're going to listen to one of the iconic football clubs and their management making an observation and that what that does is it undermines the whole framework. You've got a football club, not some irate, emotional manager, emotive yeah. manager. You've got a bloody football club saying it now. Right, Pat, it's your football club, you're an Arsenal fan. Do you think your club, in the way it supported Arteta... Uh, undermine the authority here? No, I think it questioned the authority <clears throat> and it questioned the process. You go on about apologies. Howard Webb was uh, apologising to Arsenal every other week about some of the decisions that were made. And uh, look, I, I think we can dress this up in many ways. And I think the first occasion of the ball going out, I 100% agree with the VAR officials. There's inconclusive evidence. But if you listen to the conversation... One, they mentioned the handball. They didn't zoom in like they have done before on other objects and just left it alone. Yeah. Two, they went on about the offside. A bloke said, no, he's onside. Gabriel's playing him on. The other VAR official had to correct him and say, hold on here. There's not two people behind the ball. The goalkeeper could be ahead here. So I'm worried that straight away decision, oh, he's, uh, he's offside. Gary Neville... And, well, Jim, you as well, there seems to be a bit of agenda 
every week against the Arsenal in terms of when they make a comment. What they actually said, what they actually said, there's no offside position or I think they meant angle to get to be conclusive with it and that's what I heard yeah. back on the day. Yeah. So the, they couldn't, similar to the ball being over the line, they couldn't make a, a categoric decision on the offside or the handball because of the lack of evidence. Yeah, Pat, thanks for your call. There's no agenda. Uh, Neil's another Arsenal fan. Where do you stand in this, Neil? I mean, now Michael Owen is suggesting, look, the evidence is clear, concise, methodical um, and the show itself insightful, educational. I mean, have they turned it around the PGMOL with the way they've treated this moment? Well, uh, hey guys, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, uh, I listened to the I listened to the, the the show last night, and clear, concise, and methodical. Well, I just heard you know uh, Howard Webb talking about how they came to the decision that they you know that they kept on banging on about. I mean, it's we've we've seen these decisions go left and right every single day of the week, you know, even before VAR. So to me, it's a wrong decision for the foul and. Uh, Whatever they said on that show, I didn't see any anything to say that it was clear, concise, and methodical. It was, you know, to me, it was a lot of rambling yet again, and uh, I think you've got to get that right. But I mean, uh, you know, it's a it's a lot, it's a foul in my opinion. It wasn't given. Yeah, the ref was wrong. Um, but hell, you know what? We move on. But we move on. We know, do. We do, Neil. If a goal had been given to Arsenal, you'd have taken it. I assume. hundred percent. I mean, you, you know, we, we we we've had so many bad decisions go against us, but we've also had good ones. But and you wouldn't have cared the day, about the uh, inconclusive, indecisive observations that would have still made the same sort of commentary. But if it had been given an Arsenal goal, then it would have been fine for you to have listened to that. Yeah, but you hang on a second, Sam. You know, the thing is, how, much, how long has VAR been in the, in the system now for? And we've had so many, so many decisions go in the name of clubs to say, oh, we don't have the right angles. We don't how, how on earth is it that, that bad, this law? But that's a different argument, they, isn't it? They, 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 but, but that's yeah, a different, that, that, that that's, a different, that's a different argument. argument. That's about suggesting It's now. a fair one, though. It's a fair one, and I, I agree with you that if we're, gonna, if, we're gonna, yeah. if we're going to go in a digital world, then do the lot. Do all the lines, do the lot, and then you could have no arguments. And automate it, put sensors on people's shirts, put sensors in balls, and shut everybody up. The fact you can't you can't see whether a ball is over the line in today's with the billion dollar industry. Yeah, yeah I think it's poor, yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Aaron Ramsdale at Arsenal apparently has now lost his smile, according to his dad, Nick, um, because all of a sudden the landscape for Aaron Ramsdale at the football club has changed with the introduction of your man Raya coming in from Brentford. And it seems that he, and not Aaron, gets a nod between the six from um, Mikel Arteta. Now... Danny, last month, when we heard from Nick Ramsdale for the first time, coming out in defence of his son Aaron, you had something to say about that and you were none too happy. Do you know what's too many people's mums and dads coming out on social media? What the hell is going on in the world? He's not 12. But what's wrong with that? <laughs> he's not 12. He's defending he can, his son. He's a it's big a good boy, point. Ramsdale. I thought maybe the world's gone mad. If, if I, When I was playing at Liverpool with the lads, if my mum or dad, we didn't have social media, but if they did, oh my God... I'd get absolutely annihilated. Quite defending the boy. He's not 12. He's a man. Yes, he's right. People's parents he's coming right. out, so get a grip of yourselves. Right. Show some, let your boy show some resilience. He's made it to the Premier League. He's an England goalkeeper. He doesn't need his dad defending him on Twitter but like some sort you. of schoolboy. So that was Danny going for it. And then Nick Ramsdale <laughs> decided on the Hybrid Squad, the podcast, to give us his take on Danny's take. I was away in Tenerife. There were 16 of us. It was my first time away ever playing golf. First time away with a group of lads. I never did it when I was at school. I was having a great time. The lads wouldn't let, let it go because we were. I was in the back of the mirror or I was on Sky Sports. And, and then I thought it had died down. And then all of a sudden, Danny Murphy then was given his 10 penneth worth. I was asked, by the way, to go on. Talk sport to reply to what Jamie Carragher had said, but I'd said what I'd said. It wasn't for debate. It was in the moment. That was it. I wasn't then going to justify it. I was just adding more fuel to the fire if I'd have gone on talk sport. Really and truly, I should have done because the game I played of golf so on that day was absolutely terrible. I wasted four hours of walking around the golf course. Danny Murphy again. He took it to the football side of it. And it wasn't the football side, it was the personal side. They've got to make, they don't make a distinction. That, that They think there's, a, there's like a crossover, right, between professional and personal, and there isn't. And I think they would be the first two, if, if somebody came up to them having a meal and started getting a bit of grief from somebody, they would turn around and say, excuse me, I'm having a meal now, I'm not at work. So they can differentiate between when they're at work and when they're not at work. See, this all came about uh, after Jamie Carragher said he thought he was watching the Oscars when Ramsdale at the side of the pitch was seen to be applauding a save from David Ryan. Yeah, which Carragher was right on. Right. Well, Nate Ramsdale very much does not think that. He thinks that a bit of class should have been shown here. Um... He's having a pop at you as well because you're you're really not making a distinction in his eyes uh, in your argument. I mean, when it got when it all said and done, is there anything wrong with Nick Ramsdale coming to his son's defence and saying, "Look, he did what he did. He 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 clapped his his teammate Raya, who incidentally has put him out of his position." Uh, firstly, I like Ramsdale, so we, I mean, I've, back, I've backed him low. I, I think he's a tremendous goalkeeper. That, there's nothing to do with this. I don't understand the distinction between personal and professional. I don't know where that's going. Um, 
I, I think me personally in that situation wouldn't do what he did because I'd speak to my do what defend my son on social media or, or come out fighting if somebody said something on a commentary, made an opinion, because it's just an opinion. And the first thing I'd do is I'd be speaking to my son, checking, having a chat with him about it and seeing where he's at. That's so it. If he was your son, you wouldn't have done it. And I would be... I No, I wouldn't. And if I was advising my son now in this world in a similar situation... I'd be never. I'd be telling him, oh, unless something drastic or dramatic had happened, to not respond to things on social media about what you're doing at the football club. The only person you need to be talking to is the manager in the in the, in the confined space of the training ground or the, or the stadium. You don't need to be going out in public and commenting about what a commentator says about you or a pundit on the radio or television. That would be my advice. Well, he did. But, be- but, but better what- than that, he's gone even further because he's now doubled down on it. This is father of Aaron Ramsdale, Nick Ramsdale, again on the Highbury Squad podcast on this current situation. It's it's all seemed to have come crashing down. And before anybody says, yeah, but they're earning a lot of money. Yes, they are earning a lot of money, but you don't go and play sport to earn money. You, you play sport because you love it. And to be honest, Aaron's lost that smile that you showed when he was holding on to that ball at the moment in time. And it's difficult. Squads evolve all the time. Nobody's going to be there forever. David Ray has not pulled up trees so far. Who's to say he's not going to? You've got to give the guy a chance, for God's sake. Even though even though the way it's been done, in my eyes, it's been wrong. And we can talk about that. But that's the decision. So really and truly, we've all got to get behind David Ray. He's part of the family now. Whether it's only until... You know, May, June of next year. It won't be. It'll be longer in my eyes, but that's by the by. But you've got to. In there, he's actually back in Raya and the decision that's been made. But he's having a pop. He's having a dig, Simon, at the handling of it. Um, well, the, the question is, is gift the, to do that. Yeah, the question not? is, Jim, is why why is somebody's dad playing the Premier League yeah, on a I, podcast? I why is he on a podcast? Of course, it's his gift. That's right. We're all well, different. He's allowed to do what he wants. Of course he is. But why would you want your dad on any platform, media platform, while you're but trying that's to... that's the central point, isn't it? Why? It's not the fact... Of course he can say something. As the Arsenal-loving Frank Warren is texting me saying, he's not Russia, Simon, they can say what they want, right? The point is, is that he's a professional sportsman. Why do you need your mummy and daddy to come out and say things to you? What's the next thing? The manager's going to read him a bedtime story and tuck him up in bed at night. Exactly. Get over it. It's, it is absurd. No one's opining on the reality of what the player's performance is. But when you hear highfalutin professional footballers having their parents speak on their behalf, hmm. what's going on? Some are not right with you, it. People are going to look at it with disdain. Do of course they are. Ramsdale, well, Ramsdale's going to have a wonderful career wherever he ends up. He's a brilliant goalkeeper. And his dad just needs to let him get on. Don't be going on podcasts. Don't be talking about anything because people will twist and manipulate your words and re- end up coming back to Ramsdale in interviews and his manager might even pull him in and go and look. I, I mean, look, Gerard Houllier. I mean, his father's come Gerard to his Gerard Houllier, like you and Carragher were sounding he, off about he does him. I didn't need. sound off about him. Yeah, I, I, sounded, I sounded off. You were saying grow up. No. I'm sounding off about the fact that any his parent, father. including him, shouldn't be talking about a grown man who's his son who's made a professional footballer in the Premier League and is international. He can speak for himself. Correct. Do your thing at home. Speak speak privately to whoever you want. And moan away and do do Correct. what you want. But his father's his own man, and, and if he wants to speak, and, out, and we're all different. He's quite and, right to speak. And, out. and Danny's his own man. And I I actually think that what Jamie Carragher wrote was a bit mean spirited, is unnecessary. 
And I do think that if I was if I was Ramsdale, I'd say something about it. Or we'll just rise above it and ignore it, right? Because it's actually chip paper. Mm. But his father's given it more credence. And the fact of the matter is, when you've got you've got Harry Maguire's mother coming out, you've got Aaron Ramsdale's father coming out, you, you know, you've got these boys that live in this world, this vacuum of immense recognisability, immense rewards, and every now and again a bit of adversity. How about allow them to overcome the adversity with a bit of resilience and fortitude, which is supposedly what makes professional sportsmen be the elite men that they are. Have you ever heard... You know what we're going to get? Richie Sunak's dad come out and start worrying about what's happening to him in the political landscape. Oh, for God's sakes! These are grown men being paid like grown men. Give them an opportunity to, to take the outrageous slings and arrows of fortune rather than get mummy and daddy to come out and say, my boy's getting a little bit of a shellacking. Yeah, but... Oh, I, give I over. I knew you would take that. Give over. That stands because uh, with you, everything's power through it. No, power through. No, it's Get not. out the other end. Well, Where I go? Well, okay, his what, dad what, what's the alternative then? He's talking on behalf of his son. He's a man. He's a professional footballer. He doesn't need his daddy to talk about him. It's unbelievable. But you, do, you don't think for a moment that Aaron has said, you dad, think Aaron dad, get out there and back me up in this. No his chance. father has decided of his own volition to back his son. Well, his father should use better judgment then. But what's wrong with it? It says a lot about because, the dynamic of the I relationship. Don't, I don't think it's there to be sneered at. Yeah, but you're 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 well, from a different to be belittled. Well, you're, you're, you're suggesting you're not that, sneering you're, at you're, it. You're, I'm not sneering at it. I'm suggesting that it's we don't. Need I'm suggesting that it's and daddy. Well, it is that, isn't it? Because I'm giving you two examples. One was a mummy. The other was a daddy. Right. So they're not they're not they're not hypotheses. They're facts. Right. So the bottom line is is why would you want a professional sportsman or why would if if I was if that was me and I was Aaron Ramsdale, I'd go dad. Pack it in. Yeah. Wouldn't do it again. He's done it again. He's carried it on. He's he doubled down on because he's offended on behalf of his son that Danny Murphy's had the audacity to turn around and said, you're not 12. This isn't schoolboy football. This isn't a debate. This isn't where a parent gets to admonish the teacher for not picking his son. This is ridiculous. Okay. Well, uh, Mr. Nick Ramsdale decided whether it was the right move or the wrong move to back his the son wrong Aaron. Move. We shall see if there are further uh, chats on this subject on the Highbury Squad podcast. But where do you stand in it? Do you think he was right to back Aaron and get behind him and say, you know, one thing maybe people should take into account because of everything that's going on, he's lost his smile. <laughs> and he's also criticised Arteta oh, for not handling the goalkeeping situation in the right But other people criticise Arteta. They're speaking... There's other people are saying exactly what he's feeling. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. We are in the company of a boxing legend, Steve, the Celtic warrior Collins, former WBO middleweight and super middleweight champion, has joined Simon, myself and Danny. Steve, good morning. Good morning. I am delighted that you're so thrilled to be part of this. I spoke to you in the green room there and you were glued to the output on uh, YouTube and Facebook. You watch us, you listen to us, I believe. Yeah, I was. I was watching this morning with a football and I thought this is... The argument's all about, it's more like a board meeting than a football discussion. I thought, let's get back to the football, you know, and instead of, I don't get me wrong, wasting time talking about all the standing has gone on in the background, if you have spare time, talk about the lower league clubs, give them some promotion, not to... There you the, go. Not the fathers who are in the, in the mothers and, 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 and the executives and so on. Let's talk about football because... Um, the lower leagues—they've forgotten about. They don't get—you know—they they need more airtime than the shenanigans going on with with um 
but he spoke about this the morning. The shenanigans. I like that, Steve. Right away, he's giving us editorial advice, Danny, <laughs> and we are going to take it. Uh, Steve, I know Simon rates you highly, of course, not Can't just not as do, a man and, and what you did in the fight game. It's hard not to. One Night in Mill Street. What is that? That is a movie described <laughs> as a snapshot of a country on the edge of change. Uh, and this is all about Steve's epic fight against Chris Eubank, which was absolutely sensational. Who won it? Mr. Collins won it, but it was an epic. Judging by the smile on, uh, on uh, Steve Collins' face, it all comes back. Uh, this is a movie, One Night in Mill Street, about that famous fight back in 1995. Uh, Steve defeated the then unbeaten, long-reigning champion Chris Eubank in uh, Mill Street, County Cork in Ireland. Uh, unanimous decision, and you won the WBO super middleweight title. I mean, when you hear that again, Steve, how do you feel? I mean, it's over 25 years ago. It's it's another lifetime for me. I've kind of forgotten about it. I moved on because you have, you know, life moves on. I still have to put the bins out and fix the, <laughs> fix the roof. But it, what this is about, it's not, it's not so much about the fight. It's about the whole, the shenanigans that went on around it. And it's a story about the small man taking on the system, the big machine. Because I was a last minute step in to fight Chris Eubank. I was a replacement for Raymond Close, who failed as medical. So they needed a name. I was current middleweight champion of the world. They needed a name that was acceptable to step in and take Chris, uh, sorry, uh, Ray Close's place. So I was brought in, but I was brought in to lose. I wasn't brought in to win. But I didn't accept the script. So I wrote my own script. Enlarging that, you were brought in to lose. Were yes. you told to lose? Um, no, I was told that, don't worry about it. I mean, this is the conversation Barry Hearn brings me into his office, you know, this is a big opportunity for you. He said, they have the fight Chris Eubank. You're already middleweight champ of the world. Don't worry about it if you don't win. Um, you know, it's a good payday. And I'm looking, I'm saying, I, I know what's going on here. So I had to prepare for this and I had to get my little team together. And it's, it's, it's a story of three guys almost coming together. Um, like three... Ari Stellboy, for the one for a better word, with Nolsey Duggan, myself and the hypnotist putting together this plan to, to take on the big the, the big machine, the Chris Eubank, the Sky TV, the Barry Hearn 
train that was running around the world making you know fighting all these people in different places and we said we have to stop this train and take over and we have to put together a plan for that well you brought in your own bits and pieces to the whole event simon mentioned this to me earlier this morning steve tell me about that you enlisted the help of a guru Mm -hmm. did you not um and there was hypnosis involved what what happened here the first thing I did was in the office they hadn't got a venue I suggested the venue Mill Street in Cork which they never heard of but previous to the year that I held the Eurovision Song Contest a village with a population of less than 2,000 people how I sold them to bring it there I don't know but Noel C. Duggan the director and the owner of Mill Street convinced him with his charming blarney and he's 90 odd year old man and he's still alive today then I had that taken care of to me the fight I knew I could win the fight but it was this, the pressure and, and the mind games and the politics that was going around that was really taking a hold of me and I needed help there. Also, when my trainer wasn't available, Freddie King, a great trainer, was my trainer, was committed to Herbie Hyde, who was fighting Riddick Bow in Vegas, so he, he wasn't available to train me. So I had all these uh, things to take on and the stress that was getting to me, I said, I need help here. So I brought in the guru, who was a, a psychologist, hypnotist and, and sports psychologist, so he was perfect for me. Also, he's part of the plan to unnerve Chris Eubank, who was the master of mind games. So, I mean, this all took place in the space of a month. And we we put it all together, and it just happened on the night. And Mill Street uh, program is is about that. And that's what people will see. Didn't you drop it in the press conference, the hypnotist thing, and confuse him a little bit? It's all all about timing. Timing. (laughs) Good comedian, a good fighter, (laughs) and a good penalty taker. It's all about timing. And right until the last minute, they knew something was going on. And then I announced at the night before the fight, the way in the press conference, oh, by the way, I've been hypnotised. This is my hypnotist. I won't feel pain. I'll Mm. have more power. I won't bleed when I cut. I'll have extra energy, the whole lot. And I left the room. And Chris Eubank went, his curiosity... He went, what's going on here? So I left him with the hypnotist. And of course, his curiosity got the better of him because he turned and asked the hypnotist what's going on. Bump, you got a hypnotist talking to you now. That's <laughs> it, you're in trouble. So the hypnotist told him, yes, I've trained Steve. He says, Steve's going to be faster. You're going to be slower. He says, Steve's going to have more power. He won't feel pain. If he gets cut, he won't bleed. And it went on. And with that Eubank, just, that was it. He wanted to go home. So I removed that psychological edge. But the, on the night, though, his big entrance is what you, Chris Eubank had over everything else. So I had to remove the entrance. Instead of everybody watching Chris Eubank enter, I wanted him to w- focus on me. I wanted Chris Eubank to focus on me. So I sat in the corner, put my earphones on, put my hood up, listened to my music, and pretended I was in another planet, in another <laughs> place, totally spaced out. And, and he kept watching me, and it was all great. I'd stole the show. Yes, everything, you know, I've done it. The bell rang. I walked out. Bang, he hit me, and I went, <laughs> that was a, that was a wake up, but you know I prepared I prepared for the boxing side of things myself. So I need to remember that hypnotist. Oh, <laughs> he, he, he was, was very brilliant. good. He done a good job. He was very very good. But at, you uh, outside Dubang, yes. I mean, what that that was sheer genius, wasn't it, Simon? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the psychological approach that these fighters have to get involved with, and they can speak to it better than I can. But I mean, it's, it's not dissimilar, but of a different outcome to what George Groves did with Carl Froch, which was get into his head, mess with his mindset, <clears throat> get him thinking things differently. But Steve took Eubank away from his comfortable re- re- regime of dominating the event, dominating the spectacle, and making him think about other things that he didn't want to think about. So it was a fascinating. I remember because you did Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels with my friend Nick Moran. And he's told me stories about stories that you've told him. That was a story that came out because you went into detail with him about it. But it's a fascinating story, and it shows you 
the strength of how you can affect other people without actually having to do anything in the first place. Then you've still got to go in there and do what you did, mm. which was remarkable. Well, uh, Chris Eubank, you know, I can quote him, he always said, it's 90% psychological, 10% mm. physical. So he preached this. So I said, great, this is he, so I'll have no problem Back convincing him. Yeah. yeah. How did the movie come about then, Steve? It's more of a documentary than a movie. Um, it just, these guys came to me about four or five years ago and I wasn't really interested. You know, guys come up, I'm a very private keyboard warrior, which is great because the youth nowadays... I, I don't envy them. I think it's horrible what goes on, you know, what people do. Anyway, getting back to the question, which is what? How <laughs> <laughs> did the movie come about? The movie came about. These guys uh, contacted me about four or five years ago and said they wanted to do a documentary. And I kind of, I was lukewarm about it. And then we argued about the, the agreements and the paperwork. And I, so I, we let it get on. So much so they arrived up to uh, interview me and I didn't even wash my hair and prepare for it. And, my my mum was interviewed in Dublin and, and she got a call that morning. So we weren't prepared, but it actually turned out really well. I think catching us, you know, unprepared and natural. We didn't have a, a script. We, they, we just spoke from the heart and 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 uh, honest. What, what what do you think the takeaway will be for people who who watch the documentary movie? I think it'll be entertaining. I I. I watched it really for the first time a, few, a couple of days ago, and, and I hate to say it, I actually enjoyed it. You know, I don't, you don't thought, have, hey, I'm good in this. I just, I really enjoyed it, and I, I think what it takes away is, is, um, I don't know. There's a lot. It was it, the shenanigans that went on was interesting, and and um, the mind games, and and the fact that Barry Hearn was terrific in it. I mean, he said, you know, it was I wasn't supposed to, not I wasn't supposed to win, but they had plans for the tour. And they had a script, and he said, but Collins never read the script. And that was him more or less <laughs> saying, you know, yeah. uh, I, I was just a filler in, and if I didn't win the title, you know, I'd still have my midway title to fall back on. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.